Key Aero, your aviation destination. Military Aviation. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Air Warrior podcast, bringing you some of the key highlights from the air domain over the past couple of weeks. I'm your host, Richard Thomas, and coming right up, we're going to be in conversation with the erstwhile newshounds of the modern military aviation team to discuss some significant bits of news from the United Kingdom. No time like the present. Let's get to it. In the hot seats today, we have Caleb Chapman, modern military deputy editor and assistant editor, Joseph Campion. Gents, welcome back. Hello, Richard. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Good to be back again. Okay, so we're going to have to, I think, obviously start with the UK F-35B crash in the Mediterranean, which obviously occurred in the morning of November the 17th and came, well, just weeks before the conclusion of what up to that point had been a pretty successful deployment of HMS Queen Elizabeth and its embarked air wing. Caleb, I want to go to you first on this. What are your thoughts about this? Well, it has clearly not been a good week for the UK's Lightning Force. So essentially on Wednesday, November 17th, the UK MOD confirmed that one of its F-85Bs assigned to number 617 Squadron and Dambusters aboard HMS Queen Elizabeth had crashed into the Mediterranean Sea at approximately 1000 hours GMT, so 10am, shortly after taking off from the carrier. The aircraft was carrying out routine operations in the area at the time of the incident the cause of which remains unconfirmed pending the findings of an investigation. Thankfully, the pilot was able to successfully eject from the aircraft before it crashed and was returned to the Queen Elizabeth shortly after. Apparently, he was returned safely, so I don't believe he or she suffered any major or too many minor injuries. While the cause of the crash remains unconfirmed, the incident has not had an adverse effect on the rest of the UK's now 23-strong lightning force, which is flying without restrictions. As part of the Queen Elizabeth's first operational deployment under Carrier Strike 2021, eight British F-85Bs from 617 Squadron have embarked aboard the flagship aircraft carrier, along with an additional 10 F-85Bs from the USMC's VMFA-211 Wake Island Avengers. The vessel and its strike group are currently heading home after deploying to the Indo-Pacific region over the summer, and obviously this is when the incident happened. But there's a lot to this incident, more than just, oh, an F-85's gone down. It actually marks three firsts, and not firsts that you'd want to, you know, have under your belt, Mm. but firsts nonetheless. So it is the first publicly revealed attrition case for the UK's F-35B fleet, as well as being the first airframe to be lost during any form of operations from the Queen Elizabeth. Now, obviously, it was probably bound to happen at some point, but this is pretty much a test for the Queen Elizabeth and its 42 commando junglies that have deployed with it in the combat search and rescue role in the unfortunate chance that an F-35B or another platform from the carrier or one of the supporting ships goes down. So it is not a welcome mission for them to be able to test on, but it is obviously something that they have now done and it the Queen Elizabeth can now sort of say we can do this in a way if you look on it in that sort of way. While this crash was the third loss of an F-85B over the history of the programme, it was the first non-US operated example to be lost during routine operations. Now the type is currently in service with the USMC and obviously the RAF uh, slash Royal Navy and the Italian Navy. So 
Mole will join the roster. Nobody is. Um, you've got Singapore, South Korea and Japan are stepping up to get the FA5B and I'm sure there'll be more customers going forward. But at the minute, there's only three and the other two have been US-operated aircraft that have crashed rather than, obviously, the Italian Navy only has a very minuscule handful of aircraft at the minute. Can I jump in? Sorry, I want to say, I thought it was five F-35s that have crashed so far. So it's three Bs and two A's, Three Bs and two A's, which I am about to jump onto. Okay, sorry, sorry, go on. No, no worries, no worries. Over the program's history, a total of five F-35s have been lost to attrition. Now, these are obviously comprising, as you said, Richard, three F-85Bs and two F-85As. In 2018, a USMC-operated F-85B crashed in South Carolina. The pilot ejected successfully, and investigators cited that the cause of the incident was an engine fuel tube, which ruptured due to a manufacturing defect and resulted in a loss of power to the engine. Now, a more high-profile incident happened in 2019 when a Japanese F-35A crashed into the Pacific Ocean, resulting in the death of its pilot. Obviously, because it crashed into the ocean and with adversary nations such as Russia, China, North Korea in that region, it became a very high profile operation to find it and then retrieve it. So that obviously the classified aspects of its design and its capabilities didn't fall into the hands of what is deemed to be an adversary state. But the Japan Air Self-Defense Force concluded that spatial disorientation and vertigo was the cause of that incident. And that sort of put that to bed. I believe they recovered it shortly after it went in. But there was no mayday call, there was no approximate location for where it went in, and because of its stealth capabilities, that obviously makes it a bit harder. On May 19th, 2020, a US Air Force F-85A from the 58th Fighter Squadron crashed on landing at Eglin Air Force Base. The pilot ejected from the aircraft successfully, but the investigators actually cited pilot error influenced by fatigue and issues with the design of the aircraft's oxygen system along with a distraction caused by a malfunctioning head-mounted display and a failure of the flight control system were the attributing factors to that incident. Also last year, another high-profile incident was when a U.S. Marine Corps operated F-85B collided with a KC-130J Hercules tactical tank transport during an air-to-air refueling sortie over Imperial County, California. The pilot managed to eject from the F-35B but suffered injuries while the KC-130 crash-landed in a nearby field. But with this latest incident and sort of more relevant information, more up-to-date information, should I say, is that the Royal Navy has reportedly sought help from the US to recover the wreckage in the Mediterranean, which is believed to be more than one mile below the surface where it's finally rested. Yeah, just sorry, just on that, I mean, obviously, um, you mentioned the fact that the pilot ejected safely and Martin Baker, um, the manufacturers of the ejector seat, they're, they're always keen to point that their systems work and pilots are able to eject safely from aircraft. And obviously it has done on this occasion. So that's good. You mentioned the fact that the rotary rescue capability embarked on HMS QE worked, which, you know, as you said, not a great, I mean, you never want it to happen, but the fact that it happened and the systems and procedures were in place in order to rescue the downed pilot that work fine. So that's also very, very good. The depth of water, I mean, you said it's sort of a mile below depth. The depth of water in the med, it ranges, doesn't it? I think the average depth is about mm. 1,500 meters. Max depth in the med is is over 5,000 meters. So I, I don't think anyone's completely sure where the aircraft went down exactly. Although there've been social media tracks of, well, AIS tracks of HMS QE doing loops somewhere off Cyprus, I want to say like 60 to 80 nautical miles off Cyprus. Now, whether that's related to where the area that the aircraft went down, we're not sure, is it? But to recover an aircraft, which could be in whole form or it could be in pieces, 
at such depths, be it 1,500 metres or 5,000 metres, a massive, massive logistical effort. The UK has some capabilities, but they're obviously based in the UK. You said that the UK has sought help from the US because it has assets, I guess, closer to hand, right? Yes. So from what I've heard, there's assets in Rota. Mm. But what I've personally seen, I saw a Times report that the operation would include unmanned deep water submersibles, which would attach inflatable bags to the aircraft to raise it to the surface. Now, the Times sources, obviously, maybe MOD, they may be US, but the MOD hasn't officially commented on no. what they're doing to recover it. So I think at this time, it's easy to go, yep, there's these assets here, there, and everywhere that have been flown in. I imagine the UK would want the US to help because the US obviously has a more developed capability. The UK hasn't had a carrier force since 2011, so that capability was probably mothballed a bit and is still in the process of being worked back up. But I think they've got to recover it. Indeed, they have to recover it because, you know, you might think the Mediterranean Sea is the domain of NATO. It's not really the case, is it? Because Russia has assets on the Syrian coast that it can probably move quite close to Mm. any sort of recovery effort. And Russia's subsurface capabilities are, frankly, easily on par with what NATO has. And if not on par, then slightly superior. So there's going to be, well, probably a considerable presence of NATO surface and subsurface assets in and around the area for, I don't know, how long it takes for this for this recovery effort to actually be completed. Joseph, coming to you, I mean, talk to us about, it's a very sophisticated piece of equipment. We all kind of know it. How important is it that this pieces, even pieces of this aircraft aren't recovered by NATO adversary states? Yeah, Richard, I think you uh, nailed it on the head with the word precious. This is a very, very highly classified aircraft. It's the latest technology. It's basically everything to a lot of NATO's and allied nations air forces. It's very, very protected, shall we say. And I was out on assignment on the ranges with um, some RAF personnel. And one of them told me, because uh, he had a part-time role within the RAF of mountain rescue. And he said, we were just speaking about the latest ongoings in the RAF, like the platforms that are involved. Obviously, the F-35 popped up and he said, if ever, if ever one of them went down. Um, I mean, I think specifically he was regarding to going down on land, but he said it would be one of the biggest and most manpowered logistic plans to ever happen because the F-35 is classified inch by inch. So every piece of that aircraft that is an inch wide or an inch long has to be recovered. So the fact that this machine is possibly a mile down at the bottom of the ocean, I mean, (laughs) I've seen some comments like it's a very expensive diving wreck at the moment, Mm. but it is one expensive piece of equipment financially and we need to get it recovered. Yeah, the fact that it's inch by inch absolutely baffles me so if this f-35b that crashed is in pieces then i don't know if that will just be totally impossible to recover it but if it's still there in one piece then either the us or the uk or anyone else involved has a real big job to do to get this aircraft back up to the surface in the right hands before someone beats us to it yeah indeed i mean i don't want to speculate but i will a little bit i guess if they can't bring it to the surface if that's too difficult although caleb you mentioned that there could be a way to do it using inflatable bags they're certainly going to make sure that there are no inch long pieces left of the the system down there anyway so okay if i can move on any more points on the f-35 or can we move on from that one um yeah just a couple obviously with russia in the area with their presence from the crimean peninsula as well they've got an easy flight to deploy 
a mass force out there if they need to. But I think that would then obviously start a political standoff over the technology that obviously Russia isn't privy to and all of the JSF program partners are, to a large extent anyway. But I think obviously Kiwi, I can imagine, immediately was sort of sent to Circle. Once they located it, it would have had to have gone. It's the nearest UK asset that can stand guard around a precise resting location of this F-35B. And I think routine operations would say that the nearest assets have to go and secure that equipment. And if QE obviously has the firepower, it has other aircraft on board, it can pretty much have a self-sustainable guard of that platform until it's raised. And they need to recover the aircraft to find out what actually happened to it. At the minute, the uh, MOD is rightly coy about releasing any details about the crash. But, you know, be it pilot error, be it a technical malfunction, you know, that answer needs to be found and you need to get a black box back. Yeah, for sure. I, I can imagine a similar sort of scramble as there was when, uh, was it the F-117 went down in Serbia or something mm. like that? And there, there was obviously a rush to try and get hold of that tech. I can imagine the rush to get hold of, from adversary states to get hold of anything to do with an F-35, be it blueprints or actual physical hardware. Um, yeah, they'll be trying, obviously, as we speak. Unfortunately, they never recovered the F-117 that uh, crashed in Serbia. They recovered the pilot. The pilot went on to big things, I believe, in the US Air Force. I forget, unfortunately, who it was, but um, I believe the wreckage, or at least part of it, is in an Air Force museum in Serbia. While they've probably taken what they need from it, it is now a museum piece. Indeed. Well, it sounds like a nice opportunity for a, a modern military aviation class trip somewhere down the line. Okay, moving on <laughs> to the uh, Sentinel. Fleet Joseph, you've got some news for us in that. Yeah, so this morning, speaking on the 19th of November, the MOD confirmed that the sale of the retired RAF Sentinel fleet is to be sold to the US, which supports the reports made by UK Defence Journal earlier in the week on the 17th of November that they are rumoured to go to the US Army. I mean, this is a very good, positive move. It's better than them being scrapped and turning into... uh, Fizzy pop uh, cans. It's good that they'll be flying and having a second life. Apparently, they already scrapped all the mission hardware from the aircraft, and now it's just to make them airworthy to get them over the pond and into the US. And then I believe all the work reinstalling the mission capable hardware will be done by uh, US companies that have put a bid in. When we say mission capable hardware, what are we talking about? That? Are we talking about the radars and the sensors that make the Sentinel what it is? Yes, yes. Yeah. So all the iStar. So intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance equipment. I believe as well it's rumoured that there's plans to maybe use the Sentinel airframe as the J-8 E-Stars replacement. I don't know how true that is, but... J-Stars has been a programme that's, well, been recapped several times, but it's one of those that keeps getting cut. Yeah. It'd be interesting if they are. Um, there's, I've not heard any specific rumours that he... Joint stars are due out now. I mean, obviously, they're of an age, but every time they've tried to replace them, it's just been scrapped. Like light attack, in a way, it's one of those controversial US Air Force programs. Yeah. I mean, okay, the UK decided to divest itself of Sentinel. Can you explain what it did? And then explain to me, if it performed that function well, why was it removed from service? So the RAF operated the Sentinel for 13 years, well, almost 13 years. It was operated by a five squadron at RAF Warrington. And what the kind of main mission of the Sentinel was, was to, well, basically it was involved in multiple operations around the world, in Operation Shader and also in Inherent Resolve. 
And the biggest one was Operation Elemi in Libya, which is upcoming to its 10-year anniversary. It was an aircraft sent out to basically provide a battlefield vision and gain. Uh, in fact, Kayla, I'm jumping on this because I don't want to provide <laughs> the wrong... What I believe the Sentinel did was it was an ISAR aircraft that was sent close to the battlefield, not into the battlefield, to provide further communications between assets in the battlefield. Could you confirm that for me? So it's not a, an E-11 Bacon, which is pretty much what you just described. Yeah, yeah. It's a battlefield reconnaissance aircraft yeah. in which basically it goes and it does a number of different missions. I mean, you mentioned Operation Elemy a, a minute ago. We actually do have a first-person perspective from Gary Waterfall in the January issue of AFM coming out, which will, in a way, cover all of the UK's air contribution to that mission. But That's a really good plug, Caelan. Well done. We recommend to all our listeners here to check out the January edition of AFM. I heard it's going to be a really good one. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Yeah, no worries. So, obviously, the Sentinel is, you know, it made its name in Herrick, it made its name in Elemy, it made its name in Shader, but then the capability is now apparently redundant, according to the UK MOD, which personally, I don't think it is. Uh, everyone I've spoken to from the RAF has said that, you know, Sentinel is always a valued platform because of what it provides. And now the RAF has kind of lost out on that capability. But the Sentinel, yes, battlefield reconnaissance, it basically will map the battlefield, relay that back to operational command or the combined air operations center in service with NATO, and it will give air operations and combatant commanders an idea of the situation on the ground from an airborne perspective so that they can strategize, send assets to reinforce or take out a tank column, you know, stuff like that. Sure. I guess the calculation is from the MOD is that it has other platforms that it feels will be able to fulfill this kind of role, whether that's through something like the P-8 Poseidon or maybe the new protective fleet. I guess it's looking in different areas for this sort of intelligence gathering Role, but it's still, it's still, we all we all know the Sentinel is a very useful capability when it was in service, and as you said, only in service for thirteen years. Platforms still got plenty of years left in the airframe. Certainly, if the sensors were getting a little bit long in the tooth, well, those can all be upgraded. That said, it's all money, isn't it? This is a, a UK military that, okay, in theory, you know, it's spending more on defence than it's ever done before, and the government's been keen to highlight an extra sixteen billion for defence. Not an extra sixteen billion; it's sixteen billion to try and plug the massive holes that exist in defence expenditure and uh, procurement. So do you think that Sentinel is just a casualty of cost cutting that the RAF had to make because of uh, directions from Treasury? I think it's a big sacrifice. I think the RAF, you know, I think we can dedicate an entire podcast to this debate, but the RAF 10 years ago is not the RAF that it is today. So many aircraft have gone as a result of defence cuts and other things, but you know, when you look at Sentinel, it's a platform that, yes, arguably was neglected in terms of upgrades. It has survived a couple of withdrawal battles, and it was inevitable that it was going to get withdrawn before its end should have happened from the early years. But every operation it's been involved in, it's been a star. It supported wider NATO operations where it did actually have a very good reputation. Now, it's great to hear that the US Army's taken it up as opposed to the US Air Force, so I don't understand where the J-STARS replacement has come from. But yeah, I think it's a platform that maybe didn't need to be sacrificed, and we could have kept it another 10 years, maybe. It could have kept spotting Shader. But yeah, obviously the powers that be have decided otherwise, and they obviously have got reason to do it. They wouldn't just 
get rid of a fleet of a specific capability without something that can at least supplement that capability now. Whether that's with the Protector, which I don't believe is going to have the ability to cover such a mission, or if it's with the Wedgetail, or if Poseidon starts adopting that role. How about the Shadow? The Shadow, I suppose, again, you'd want something that maybe can fly higher. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't necessarily have a Shadow flying around Iraq or Syria day to day, because the King Air that the Shadow is based on isn't able to fly at the same altitude as a, a Bombardier of level 6000. So mm-hmm. there is that sort of reduced capability set that the Shadow can produce. Obviously, the UK is buying more Shadows, but whether or not that's going to be as good as what the Sentinel did is a different story, and I don't think it would be. But yeah, I think in any case, if Poseidon or Wedgetail especially are going to start adopting that role, then we'd need to buy maybe a few more of them, especially Wedgetail. Which has already been reduced from five to three. So um, it sounds like cost-cutting is... <laughs> front and centre of what the MOD is trying to achieve with its with its forces right now. It's been put a weird way, isn't it? We're putting the most money ever since the Cold War into the UK MOD, but we're cutting as much as we're giving. Obviously, a lot of that funding is going to developing technologies and the future to the 2030-2040 UK armed forces, but we have to maintain their capabilities until then as well. So maybe hastingly retiring platforms, in my eyes, before their time, is something that maybe we should do less of if we're going to keep cutting. Well, at least they're going to stay in NATO in theory. So go on, Joseph, a quick 30 seconds and we'll have to move on. Yeah, I think the reasoning behind that is technology is becoming more expensive. I think that's the big uh, roundel there, that it's just becoming more expensive. And the other big word is um, multi-role. I think all these aircraft that are coming into service can perform multiple roles, which an aircraft 20, 30 years ago can only solely perform you know like you've got tornadoes going because they were uh, air to ground but the f-35 can do it's a big strong word saying they can do but close air support air to ground air to air so that's kind of probably why we've seen a decrease in numbers but an absolute pump in money you're absolutely right there joseph i mean with the sentinels replacement obviously typhoon has replaced tornado in that multi-role capacity and that tornado is now that platform that can do air supremacy and air to ground attacks mm-hmm. strike missions and such but with Sentinel, obviously, Saab have the Global Eye, which is a swing role. It can be an airborne, early warning control aircraft for one mission, and then it can be a battlefield reconnaissance aircraft with a ground-looking radar You know, for the next. It's a purely swing role platform, which A, would have been cheaper than Wedgetail. B, would have also given the RAF a similar platform that can still do the role of Sentinel, maybe to a lesser extent, but to an extent that we still have that capability if we need it. So we could have had more globalized that could cover more roles and the wedge tail only can sort of fit one. So if we're really truly moving into that multi-role domain, I feel like globalized has been overlooked considerably. But that's just my opinion. Obviously, you know, there is the controversy that wedge tail was selected without a fair and open competition. So perhaps that wasn't an oversight, but it's one of those. I think it's an argument we can have in a longer, more directly themed podcast maybe one for the future okay just to bring everything to a gentle and cool close joseph do you have anything for us with regards to exercises deployments and and stuff to look forward to over the next two weeks or so yeah i sure do but i will start off with things that have happened and that we've known about but now i've come to a close so obviously the uh, ninth expeditionary bomb squadron from dias air force base have returned back to texas after their long 
deployment here at RAF Fairford for the last aircraft that left earlier this week. Another thing that's quite well, like as Kayla mentioned, we could probably dedicate a whole podcast to is the F-15 QAs of the Qatari Emery Air Force have finally left Mildenhall after a, quite a, a lengthy stay in the UK. I think it was uh, over two weeks. And maybe, yeah, maybe over two weeks. So they must have liked the countryside of Suffolk. Things to look forward to are Exercise York Night ongoing at RAF Lehman, the Swiss Hornets F-18 season Bs arrived on Monday the 15th of November. They are here to carry out their annual night exercise for four weeks. A quite cool spin on this year's York Night at Lehman is that there will be three Eurocopter Cougars of the Swiss Air Force attending. It is actually unknown, but due to a source telling me, the deck commander of the Cougar Detachment, telling me personally that they will be popping flares on RAF Spadadam, so they will be doing range work. That's just a nice little insight that we have. The other things ongoing, we have the uh, Exercise Magic Carpet in Oman. That's coming to a close now. That's commenced on the 9th of November with 12 Squadron and 2 Squadron of the RAF going out to Oman. And they were joined, or I'm not sure if they actually joined who were already out there, which was an Apache unit. I think the 4th Regiment of the Army Air Corps were out there. And then coming up in the future as well, we have the Tactical Leadership Programme, the final conclusive exercise to round up the whole course of the year, which is TLP 21-4. That's going to be carried out over in Spain on the 29th to the 3rd of December. So the 29th of November to the 3rd of December. That's basically just a multinational, multi-aircraft um, type exercise, which sees basically fighter pilots gaining their leadership skills and attributes so they can take that to the battlefield. Good stuff. Thanks for that, Joseph. And thank you very much, Caelan. Really good discussion. And to our listeners, we hope to have you back in a couple of weeks' time. For our listeners, if you'd like to know more about the topics discussed today and all the rest of the news from the Air Domain, please visit the Key Aero website. But for now, thanks for tuning in. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.